within them. Okay, the third question, part four this week, we're going to talk about relationships. This is the relationship question. And it isn't, you know, about romantic relationships. It's about relationships in general. It's about just us doing life together. And I think it's a fitting question for a connect group, a sign-up weekend. And we think about relationships. We think about being connected. We think about doing life together. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about some of Ireland's most famous cultural cop-outs. Did you know that if there was a degree for copology, we would be internationally renowned for it? Because the Irish people, and if maybe you've come from other places in Ireland, it's not your home, and you've learned this, we can talk our way into almost anything, and we can talk our way out of almost anything. So you call it the gift of the gab. Some say you've kissed the Blarney Stone. I don't know what it is. We just are extremely good at making up nonsense. We're professionals. That's why we're good at songwriting and poetry and art because we just have this capacity to cop out. We say things, don't we, in our culture like, sure, nobody cares. Nobody cares about that. Who cares? Do you care? No. Nobody cares. Or we say, sure, nobody sees. And if nobody sees, nobody can care. It's perfectly logical. It's like perfect deduction. If they can't see it, they can't care, so who cares? Or the classic, my favorite one, sure, there's no harm in it, right? It's like, should I, I don't know, sure, look, there's no harm in it. Well, if there's no harm in it and no one can see it and nobody cares, ah, sure, go on. Ah, go on, go on, go on, go on. And of course, this is perfectly captured in the mother of all cop-outs, which says, what you don't know can't hurt you. Come on, you've heard this, you've used this, maybe even used it this morning. You parked your car in a place you shouldn't. You're going, I don't know. It can't hurt me. Tell you a story. Last Monday, I parked my car outside our office. Every Monday, we have a staff meeting. Our Navin location team, our Dublin location team, we come together. We talk about Sunday. We pray for all of you. We go through all the next steps cards, pray for the people, fill them out. We pray for all the prayer requests. We do a whole bunch of stuff, right? And outside our office is a loading bay in front of a pub that burnt down like 400 years ago. You with me? Like, you know, back in the time of St. Pat. That's how long it's been shut down. And, and I parked there for, for years. No problem. Well, the other day I come out, and I always put a parking ticket in anyway, just to be safe, just to cover your bases. You know what I'm saying? That's a wise thing to do. So I, I pay for the parking ticket. I come back out in a while to update my party, and I see that someone has giving, given me a parking ticket, like an actual fine, a parking fine. Now I'm like, what is going on? And as I get, I look, and I, it says 10.43, but my parking ticket was to 11 o'clock. And I'm like, they've somehow missed this. This is their fault. And I read the fine print that says, parking in a loading bay. See, my attitude was, well, I think it's okay. I don't really know. So if I don't know, it can't hurt me. Does a 40 euro parking fine hurt anybody here? Yes. Hurts me. Well, I'll tell you an even funnier story. Saturday morning, just gone by, same week, I'm going to bring my kids to rugby. I pop into town to buy my wife an apple tart. She loves apple tarts. Because I'm going to pop in and buy an apple tart and come home, be the hero of the day, and park my car in a taxi rank. I come back, I'll be coughing me apple tarting, oh, I'm the man. And there's your man, ripping the ticket out of the machine, which if you know anything about ticket machines, it means it's done. It's the will of God. It's over. Like, there's no talking. There's no talking your way in or out. It is done. I get there, me apple tart, me coffee, my face. He actually felt so bad for me. He goes, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. 
And I'm like, yeah, I got one on Monday. Oh my gosh, I feel terrible. I'm like, listen, it's not your fault, it's my fault. Oh, like, do you want me to help you appeal it? I'm like, well, yes, I mean, come on, help me out. It's just, and so this idea that what we don't know can't hurt us, we know it's not true. It's a cop-out. But it's a cop-out that we use against ourselves because it does hurt you. In fact, maybe a more accurate way, maybe the wise would phrase it this way, what you won't know. Well, not what you don't, what you won't, what you're willingly blindful to can hurt you. And not only can it hurt you, but it also will harm others because they're connected to you. So it's not that we don't know, it's that we won't know. What we won't know very often can hurt us. And the bottom line is, is this, relationships matter. In life in general, if you're here and you're not a Christian, not a Christ follower, you're just kicking the tires, checking us out, watching online, I'm glad you're here. But regardless of what, where you stand on the, on the issue of faith and the sovereignty and person of Christ, relationships matter. As human beings, we're wired for relations. All the psychology in the world points to the fact that when we're connected and doing life together, we are better. We're more emotionally stable. Our mood is generally happier. We're healthier. We're enjoying life. Our life lasts longer. There's all these benefits to being connected. And God knows it's because God created us for relationships. And all of us have relationship goals. No matter where we are in the spectrum of relationships, you might be retired and married 40 years, married 10 years, married last year, hoping to get married one day. Wherever we are in the spectrum, we all have aspirations that comes to relationship. Why? Because none of us envisioned a future where we were alone. All of us looked to our future at one point, and when we thought about our future and where we'd be and what we'd be doing, there was always this somebody beside us. Now, maybe we don't have facial features or the kind of hairstyle that they use or the type of fashion they're into, but there was a silhouette, a sense that when I envision my future, somebody's there because none of us want to look forward to a future alone. When we think about the relationship question today, what we're saying is that this question will help you find the somebody you are looking for. That's how practical, this, this question I'm going to give you today will help you find, it will help you overcome the cultural cop-out that hurts you and harms others, but it will also help you find the somebody you are looking for. More specifically, this question will help you become the somebody, the somebody you're looking for is looking for. Isn't that a better deal? Like, rather than looking for the somebody, become the somebody, and the other body will find your body somewhere. Thank you, five people are excited. All the single people clap their hands, let's go. <laughs> but you know what, it's not, not, not just for single people, yeah? It's for married people too, because this question will also keep the somebody there. Yeah. Not only help you find them, but when you do find them, this question will help you from screwing up so badly that somebody did come and left. And if you're here today and that somebody's not beside you right now, pay attention. If you're here and somebody is in your life and possibly sitting beside you, this question is incredibly important to our keeping that person in our life. Now, heads up, public disclaimer, okay, up front. Just disclaimer, I want to tell you up front, I want to tell you from the top, no, 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 uh, you know, you know, you know I, just to, I just want to be completely honest. <clears throat> the other two questions, that is the uh, integrity question and the conscience question, conscience question, those two questions, okay, have an immediate ROI. You know what an ROI is? It's a return on investment. If you put into practice today the integrity question, it will immediately benefit your life. If you put into question in, into practice the conscience question, it will immediately benefit your life. But I have to be honest, the relationship question does not have the same guaranteed R 
ROI. The first two questions bring an ROI that sometimes happens immediately, but always happens eventually. But when it comes to this question, question three, question three has no guarantees. Question, with question three, there is no guarantee. When we get to the end of today's time and I give you the question, like this question, it will definitely make your life better and it'll make you better at life, but there's no guarantee it will have an immediate or even eventual effect in your life because we can control other people. And just for free, if the price of your relationship, the price of you finding somebody or keeping somebody is manipulating or trying to control them, run for your life. That's not good. That's not healthy. Question three has no guarantees. However, what I can be certain of, what we can be certain of is this, is that it will be more helpful to us and it will make us less harmful to others. It will be more helpful to us and it will make us less harmful to others. Now, if you're here today watching online and you're a Christ follower, maybe you're here and thinking, what is church? What are you all talking about? Like, we, we don't describe ourselves as being religious, yeah? Someone said, oh, I bet some of you are like, oh, my mother watched you on TV. Like, she's into all that religious stuff. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I am not religious. I mean, have you seen my hair? I mean, come on, somebody. Like, I have a four-inch beard on my face. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not religious. Actually, you know, maybe beard is kind of religious, actually. Never thought about that. Anyway, we're not religious, okay? That's, that, you know, Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. And so what we are, we are people who follow Christ, People say, oh, what do you believe in? Oh, my parents are Christians, I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. You can't be born a Christian. You can't be raised a Christian. You can't fall into Christianity. You can't be just because you go to church. Going to church does not make you Christian. Going to church does not make you Christian. Just like me going to Australia makes me Australian. I'm still Irish wherever I go. And if you're not a Christian, no matter what, what environment you go into, connect group, Bible study, prayer group, mission field, doing things does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is you follow Jesus. You're a Christ follower. Your faith and your trust are in Him. And if you're here and you're wondering, you're skeptical, and you're asking questions again, I'm so glad that you are here pushing against and, and wrestling with these tensions. But understand, that's what it comes down to. What it comes down to is the fact that, this may blow your mind online, room. we believe Jesus is Lord. You go, Lord of what? Lord of it all. What do you mean Lord of it all? I mean Lord of this church, Lord of my life, Lord of my marriage, Lord of my kids, Lord of Ireland, Lord of the world. He is the, he is the most supreme being in everything. And because he is Lord, everything I do must be submitted before his identity as Lord. And so as we think about the relationship question, what we're saying is, is that our relationships when healthy, when done with wisdom, are positioned under the lordship of Jesus. And when we make relationship decisions that are taken out from the lordship of Jesus, then that's fine because it's a free country. We live in a democratic society. I'm not saying anyone should or shouldn't. I'm just saying that if you make those choices, you live with the consequences. Because when Jesus is not your Lord and you take relationship out from under his lordship and you do things your way, you are your own Lord. Which sounds cool, right? Until you need a savior. Because we're very good at being our own Lord, but we are terrible at being our own savior. But Jesus is our Lord and savior. And so yeah, come on and celebrate that fact. And again, I just want to make that very clear. So what, when we t think about this relationship question, again, laying the foundation, I'll give you the question at the very end, so you've got to stay with me, okay? Don't fall asleep just yet. We're asking the question, because this is true, what does my Lord 
require of me? Like the fundamental question for life, should I take this job? Should I not? Should I move this place? Should I not? Should I get in this relationship? Should I, should I buy this thing? Should I? Whatever it, should, whatever it is, the fundamental question should be because of his lordship and because my life is lived under it, the fundamental mental question should be what does my lord require of me? Now, depending on how you were raised, you might think this goes a certain uh, number of certain ways. Like, for example, if you were raised, like I was, in a religious background, you see the word require as heavy and rule-based and commandments and boring, right? If you're someone who's experienced the grace, mercy, and love of God, it has freed you, cleansed you, healed you, restored you, redeemed you, picked you up and gave you a new name, a new purpose, new life, then that requirement is something different, right? And the reason for this is because when Jesus himself laid down or laid out for us what the fundamental, most important requirement is for Christ followers, it wasn't the Ten Commandments. It wasn't a rehash of what Moses said. In fact, when Jesus was trying to tell his disciples, this is the most important thing, he actually said, this is a new commandment. And it's found in John's Gospel, chapter 13 and verse uh, 34 and 35. Now, in context, what's happening? This is, this, this, act, this, this is a conversation that took place the night before Jesus is betrayed by Judas, he's arrested, and of course, falsely tried, flogged, beaten, and crucified, okay? So Jesus knows this. Disciples aren't really, really connecting the dots here, but Jesus knows the hour. He knows that this is the moment. Many of us grew up calling it the Last Supper. It's in the context of this sharing of the Jewish Passover meal, this Last Supper, that Jesus begins to pour into his disciples some of the most important things that he ever said while he was with us on earth. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus wanted to show them, to express to them how much he loved them. He did this incredible act of service by getting down on his knees and washing all their feet, which again, in that cultural context, was a very powerful thing. Today, it'd be a bit weird. If I start walking around, randomly washing your feet, thinking, well, I'm never coming back here again, unless you like feet washing, which is, I'd be weird. And I'm thinking, I'm not coming back here again. <laughs> but that time, it made sense. And as the meal and the conversation goes on, Jesus then says in verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. Now, please pay attention. It's new and it's a command. It's an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not, listen, guys, if you're going to be my friends, you know, it's kind of cool if you would do this. It wasn't like an, an, an optional extra, okay? It was like, if you're going to keep following me in the way you follow me and trust me, if you're going to recognize my lordship over your life, I want to give you a new command. What is the new command? Love one Another. Now you go, oh, we've heard this before. Come on. It's not new. I was four years old. I sang in church one time, and we sang about Jesus' love, and we should love one another and all that stuff. You're thinking this? You're putting, but see, here's the thing. When we hear love one another, we think about in the Old Testament covenantal kind of way. We think about Moses. You know, as someone loves me, I love them back. And if they don't love me, I won't love them back. Eye for an eye tooth for tooth. I should treat people as they want to be treated. Well, what happens if they want to be treated poorly? And they treat me poorly. And they like their poor treatment. Like, what does that mean? See, Jesus showing is that, is that the standard of the commandment has changed. The commandment is the same, but the standard has changed. Because in the Old Testament, where it was justice and fairness, in the New Testament, Jesus himself becomes the standard. He says, as I have loved you, so you must 
love one another. If you're not a Christ follower, just go asleep right now. This is not applied to you in any way, shape, or form. If you say, Jamie, I'm a Christ follower, this is the standard by which we are supposed to judge and measure our lives. Not finding a verse for everything we're looking to do, but asking ourselves the question, am I loving others? Am I loving myself like Jesus, my Lord, loved and loves me? See, it's not just loving one like a general, I'm a good person. It's, well, to understand it, we have to ask the question, how did Jesus love us? Because to do, we have to understand, as I have loved you. And again, there's a bit of a cultural pushback here because in our culture, we don't believe this. We say things like, God, take care of yourself. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Don't trust nobody. Keep your guard up. Take care. Watch out for your own interests. You know, don't, don't, don't be too kind or too... Don't allow people to take advantage of you. This is how our world lives. Always lying and deceiving and one-upping and trying to get the best out of each other. But, it's, but the, what the scripture teaches us is in complete opposition to this. It's the exact opposite. Jesus said, no, no, no. Don't, don't, don't try to protect yourself at the expense of other people. Again, I'm not saying we should have boundaries. We should. But ultimately, as Christ followers, we're supposed to love others just as he loved us. And I'm going to come to that in a second. And again, just to be clear, he wasn't commanding them to feel something. Because here's the other thing. When we sing about love, as we sang today, when we talk about love, when we see the world of love, we think about a feeling. But love, yes, there's a part of love which has a feeling component. But love is action. Like when you get married, and again, as a minister, I married loads of people. And as not as like they're my spouse, but as I officiate the ceremony, I married one person. And that's going to stay the same today I die. But people are in love. Oh, he's so perfect. And oh my gosh, she's so perfect. She doesn't fart. <laughs> you know, she doesn't have bad breath. He doesn't have mangy, hairy, smelly feet with big toenails. You don't see any of that, right, before marriage. I have a wedding ceremony, and one of the things that fascinates me as a pastor is so many people put so much, they spend thousands upon thousands of euros and years and years planning for the wedding day and nothing into the marriage. Everything into the wedding day, but no investment. When the wedding is over and you spend all your money feeding other people who are going to complain because it wasn't to their like comparing you to their wedding, they all leave and your marriage remains. Maybe we should put some more effort into the very thing we're supposed to be celebrating. You know, and we do a marriage course and pre-marriage course and all sorts of courses help. But the point is, we have to invest in the actual relationship, right? We see, when all the wedding bells and day and car and dress doesn't fit anymore and Paris is 10 years ago, like, when all that's gone, what have we got? Were we, were we in love as if we fell into it and now we've kind of fallen out of it? Or is it possible that love matures into something even stronger, more beautiful? Because love becomes a commitment, a daily choice. I've chosen this woman. I've chosen this man. I will stay faithful and I will serve them. And I will try my best as I have been loved to love them. He wasn't commanded I was to feel something, but to do something. And again, let's be clear. This is not religiosity. We can't just drum up action and go, okay, I'm going to follow the rules. Understand, we have to receive God's love for ourselves. 
We have to receive God's love for us as I Well, how can they love others as he has loved them if they haven't experienced the as I've loved you? So the, the predicate is that we have to receive God, lo, God's love for ourselves. And again, you know my story. I was not raised in a Christian house. I wasn't a Christ follower. I came from a religious background. My faith was nominal. Didn't really believe in God. I was massive into science and history, and I still am. I don't, I don't think those things contradict each other at all. And it wasn't until playing rugby in Germany that I cried to God one night, prayed a prayer to someone I didn't even believe in, not expecting anything to happen, and God's love filled the room. I more than filled the room, it filled my heart. And I just thought, man, if God can love me, I know who I am. I'm unlovable. If God can love me, this changes everything. And it did change everything in my life and has been changing everything from that moment to this moment. The point is we can't just go out there and do love. And I read the Bible, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm loving you. Why are you not happy? Eat your breakfast, woman. Uh, boom. We can't just do it. We have to receive it. It's when we receive God's love for ourselves that we can reveal God's love to others. It's an overflowing thing. To receive God's love for me is what the gospel is all about. And in order to receive God's love for me, all I have to do is believe in God's love of me. Again, you're watching right now, you're in the room, you're thinking, how do I receive? What's the course? What are the steps? What do I have to stop doing? Nothing. All you have to do is believe in God's love of you. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you accept that he is your Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, that he is the risen, resurrected Christ, you shall be saved. We can receive God's love. We believe in God's love. Now, back to the text, verse 34. So Jesus said, in order to love, we have to experience this love. Like I said, Jesus establishes himself as the standard for love. When we think about, well, who's love? Hollywood love? My parents love, Irish love, African love. Like what version of love are we discussing here? Well, the answer is simple. It's Jesus. Jesus is the standard for love. Break it down. Jesus is the standard by which we are to measure ourselves in everything, everywhere, and with everyone. Jesus as a person, he is love manifest. He is love in the flesh. He is the perfect incarnation of the concept and reality we call love. And when we're struggling to figure out, well, what, what, what does love look like right now? Ask ourselves the question. Answer honestly and act. What would Jesus do? Who is Jesus this moment? How would he react in this thing? How would he react to this place? And how would he respond to this person? Now, come on, we know this because if you're in the room and you are a Christ follower, right? You know, you know how Christ's love found you, right? You know what you were and where you were when Christ's love, you didn't, you didn't seek him, he sought you. And, and Jesus does something incredible because unlike any other world religion that points to a God or points to a system or a book or something, like Jesus didn't point to the Bible. Jesus didn't point to the temple. Jesus didn't point to Jesus. Jesus said, look at me. I am the standard. Now, the disciples are having a meal. They're thinking, that's very poetic, very romantic, it sounds amazing. But what they're not ready for yet is the fact that in just 24 to 48 hours, Jesus Christ, their rabbi, their teacher, their mentor, is about to show them in demonstrable action the full extent of this love when he willingly went to the cross and was crucified 
Not only for their lack of faith, but for their sin. He was getting ready to show them just how, how high that standard of love is. And if you're thinking, man, that standard of love seems too high to attain. Good. You're getting it. It is too high to attain. That's why we can never earn it. We can never deserve it. We can never pay it back. All we can do is show gratitude. Oh, His grace washes over me and sets me free. God, what can I give in return? Nothing. Because even if I had something, it just doesn't even come close to the price that Jesus paid. Now, disciples don't know this yet. In this context, they just know Jesus as their living rabbi who for three years has loved them and served them, protected them, provided for them. But in just a few short days, their understanding of this saying, of this verse, of this truth, this command, was to change forever. Now, it doesn't finish there. Because in verse 35, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, and by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. Guys, please listen. A lot of people get on our case about, look, why aren't we doing more of this, more of that, more there? Look, we should not be known for what we're against. We're not going to be out there in soapboxes telling everyone they're going to hell or telling them how they should live their lives when they don't even believe in God. It's not our name or our brand or our doctrine or our theology. These are not the things by which people will know us. It's by our love for one another. It's by our love for one another. Dublin 15 will know that we belong to Jesus. Not our production, not our lights, not our band, not all this stuff. That's all cool and has a place. But it's the sacrificial love which we give and serve one another that we are to be known. Now, this, it's interesting because this, in the Greek, is a demonstrative pronoun. Let me take you back to school. It's a demonstrative pronoun. And not only is it a demonstrative pronoun, it's actually a singular demonstrative pronoun. Meaning, Jesus, when he says, by this, he's pointing to something ex explicitly specific. It's like, by this one thing, by this one and only thing, by this and no other thing, you can't add on, oh, but we do communion and we do baptism. We do. No, by this one thing, the world will know you are mine. Baptism matters. Communion matters. Doctrine matters. It all matters, but they all are subservient to Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Not out of religious obligation, but because as I have loved you, so you must. You see, this points to the defining characteristic of Christ's followers. The thing that should set us apart. The thing that should show people that we're, not, our, not, our, not our, our, what we're against or our, our protesting, but our love for the world. You see, Jesus' followers were told should demonstrate their devotion to God by living as love demands. Again, this is, if, you, if you're willing to catch this, this will change your life. Jesus' followers, Jesus set up this movement called the church in such a way. Now, it has been taken different directions by people. That's where we have a lot of pushback sometimes. But Jesus, when he initiated this thing called the church, he basically outlined in this new command that his followers would demonstrate their devotion. Not in prayer meetings, not in, not in religious practice, but in living a life that is underneath, servant to, uh, submitted to, the love and lordship of Christ. In practical sense, that we would live our lives in a way that we put the person next to us in front of us. 
that we don't compete, we don't push down, we don't treat them as they treat us. We ask the question, what does my Lord require of me? We take who's next, and we put in front. I don't, not only that, but we love the people around us. That we should be known for the fact that we love the people around. And again, you can imagine disciples going, well, what's, what's the motive for this? What, what, why should we do this? I mean, how can we do this? Well, the motive, of course, is this, that Jesus first loved us. Think about where did God's love find you? I was broken. I was stubborn. I was angry. I was addicted. I was aggressive. I was destructive. I was lonely. I was wrapped up in so many stupid things. I could feel my life slipping out of my fingers. I mean, on the outside, I was great. I mean, I was the man, right? You know what I'm saying? You know, middle of the party. That was the one, you know what I'm saying? On the outside, I was great, but inwardly, I was dying. And I was angry with God. I was angry with a God I didn't even believe in. And God's love found me. And even though I was resistant, and even though I didn't want to believe, even though I rejected, even though I rejected God, God didn't care. Because God doesn't pour his life out for Christians. Hello? Jesus poured his life out for everyone. The ones that love him and the ones that hate him. It doesn't matter. God's love can find you anywhere. Right now, watching the online or in the room, God's love can find you right now. Right where you are. All you gotta do is believe in that love and receive that love. And it will, and it can, and it will continue to change your life. As we begin to bring this thing for a close then, it's obviously, it's far less complicated than sometimes religion explains or portrays itself. But even though it's far less complicated, it is far more demanding because the standard has risen. Understand, there are no loopholes in this brand of love. No exceptions, no excuses, no badness. Jesus' love never drops. It's never off. It's, there's never a bad internet connection in the downloading of Jesus' love for us. There's no loophole. It's constant, all the time, everywhere, with everyone. And if you're wondering, well, what is that love like practically? Because, yeah, I, he loved us as he loved us. Yeah, I get that. But what does that look like? Well, later on, the Apostle Paul, who himself was impacted and transformed by the same love of God in Acts 9, would later write to a church like ours in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 to 8. Many of you use this or will use this or have used this verse in, on your wedding day because the Apostle Paul actually breaks down what love is. And surprise, surprise, love is not complicated, but it is certainly complex. For he says, love is patient. And love is kind. Not only that, but love, by definition, does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs for your married people out there. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. So when Jesus says to us, hey, you follow me? Yes, Lord. Okay, love the world like I love you. Sure thing. How exactly do you love me? Well, I never fail you. I always perseveres. I never quit on you. I'm always hoping for your best. I'm always trusting, I'm always protecting, I'm always rejoicing when truth wins the day. I do not delight when you do bad things, I don't celebrate in, in foolish or deceitful decisions. You know, I, don't, I don't keep a record of wrongs, you know, I'm not, I'm not any of these things. I want you to love 
as I love. Love never treats others dishonorably. Love never treats others disgracefully. And love never treats others distastefully. The bottom line is this. If these are behaviors, responses that we respect, that we expect from others, shouldn't they be required of us as well? If we say, like, I deserve to be loved, I deserve patience, I deserve truth, I deserve fidelity, I deserve honesty, I deserve all these things. Well, if we think we expect these things from others, then shouldn't they be required of us as well? Which, this is the question for the message today. The guys jumped the gun a bit. But this is the question for the message today. We start off by asking, what does the Lord require of me? Well, as we break it down to what he actually said, this new command, the actual, the relationship question is very simple. When you find yourself in a predicament, relationally speaking, with a spouse, with a parent, with a sibling, with a child, with a co-worker, with a stranger in the street, with a colleague, with a friend, and you don't know what to do, all you have to do to be wise is ask the question, what does love require of me? And not just love, but the kind of love just as I have loved you. What does 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 love require of me? And don't, don't do the cop-out thing. Asher, nobody cares, nobody sees, and there's no harm in it. And if you're a Christian online room, and don't say things like, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't. X. There's no verse that I can't. Why? The reason why Jesus gave us his commandment is wherever there's a gap or space in the Bible, we go, what should I do? We should ask the question, what does love require of me? How do we interpret this piece of theology? We interpret through the filter of what does love require of me? You want to live in a world that's characterized by freedom, that protects people, that serves people, a, fr- a true free society? Christian and non-Christian, what does the love of Jesus require of me? Very simple. When you're unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires you to do. Say to yourself, when I'm unsure of what I should say or do, I should ask myself the question, what does love require me to do? And it's so amazing because God in his mercy and his grace God, maybe you don't even believe in, will speak into your heart. And he'll give you wisdom. Now, you can choose to ignore that wisdom, or you can choose, or you can choose to apply that wisdom. That's your truth. God will not take over your life. He's not a life hacker. He presents options, and we choose. But fundamentally, love requires us to do to others what God the Father in Christ has done for you. To love, yes, but to love as we are loved. How are we loved, you asked? Well, God gave us his best. He gave his best for you. He gave his best for me. And love in action looks like this. We give our best to others. So again, one more time, the question is, the related question, what does love require of me? Maybe today, as we close, and the band are going to come, maybe today, as we close, Love, God's love, is inviting you into a relationship with him. You've been pushing back, running from God, trying to like, you know, not fully commit, not fully root yourself, keeping your options open. But you know as I'm speaking right now that God is speaking to you. And maybe love is inviting you to trust him. 
and to believe in him and to receive. Not just as Jesus the teacher, Jesus the cool guy, Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the philanthropist, Jesus the, but as Jesus Lord and Savior. 